for today's episode, I am very grateful for an opportunity to dig in with higher education enrollment challenges, because I think there's just always a lot of noise around things like enrollment cliffs and demographics and all these other sort of forces. But I think just kind of really digging in with what's going on, what we can do about it, because I, you know, as an eternal optimist, I think any any challenge, any problem is, a, is an opportunity, you know, for sort of uh, innovation, for pivots, for uh, all those sort of things. So really appreciate our guest, Lisa, here uh, for joining us to have this conversation. So Lisa, if you want to introduce yourself, give your brief intro, and then we'll uh, get into our conversation. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm Lisa Keegan. I currently serve as Vice President for Enrollment Management at Bucknell University. I'm over admissions, financial aid, and our Center for Access and Success. I've spent close to two decades in higher education in a variety of roles and have been in my current role for three years now. I joined July 1st of 2020, an optimal time to start a new job. In a well, new place. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because I, when I was doing a little bit of my like research and everything, like the announcement, like you know, it's just sort of like okay, just yeah. general Google search, see like you know stuff from your background, and everything. Like it was published March tenth, twenty twenty, and I'm like, oh my god, they were right there, just maybe being like, hmm, and this like COVID thing might be uh, you know changing the game here. Yeah. So interestingly enough, uh, yeah, I think my announcement came out March 10th and I think it was March 13th that Bucknell sent an email to its students saying you're on spring break and we're closing the university for the rest of the semester. So yeah, I thought my announcement was a really big deal. Little did I know institutional leaders were behind closed doors making much more important decisions (laughs) than hiring me. Yeah, so it was definitely an interesting time and uh, coming up to see the campus was the was the last time I traveled for, you know, at least 18 months, if not two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, that certainly, you know, just the dynamics that play now, you know, and I think, you know, as we were recording this and that's a whole other conversation, but like the national emergency in the United States for the COVID pandemic is over officially, but certainly, you know, the virus is still with us. So like, there's still a lot of public health sort of dynamics at play. I'm sort of being considerate of people's needs or preferences, but just like it obviously set us on the course of sort of the new kind of hybrid reality for all of, I mean, life and higher education specifically. So, uh, with all of that, I mean, you know, so we're in sort of this, I will say, emergent place of sort of, you know, uh, breaking free of the protective cocoon of, uh, you know, isolations and quarantines and all these sort of things. And like I said, there's sort of all these sort of zeitgeisty things in the air about higher education right now and, and its challenges and enrollment cliffs and all those sort of things. But from your point of view, like what are the kind of current events that are sort of maybe most important uh, from your point of view affecting higher ed enrollment right now? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's interesting to kind of uh, start with the pandemic because it was such a disruption to everything that we did in enrollment management. Um, You know, and I wasn't shy in in saying that and sharing that broadly, right? Yeah, you know, there were pre-pandemic issues that we were concerned about, you know, looking ahead at the enrollment cliff that, you know, is projected to start in 2025. And then suddenly the work that we do is Um, completely disrupted, right? Students couldn't access test centers to take tests. That's the way that we would be connected with them. And, um, you know, uh, through a search process, they couldn't visit our campuses. Um, And I start off with that because with disruption comes innovation, right? And it, it gave all of us an opportunity to think outside the box 
and move us forward in ways that were really unexpected. And so as we are moving out of that um, national emergency, it's allowing us to focus on those emerging issues that we knew were coming pre-pandemic, but those that we're discovering now, right? So yes, enrollment cliff. Um, There's a lot of noise out there. Is it real? Is it happening, right? We do know that high school demographic populations are changing. We do know that there were lower birth rates in 2007, 2008, and we're seeing those now. Um, We do know that high school populations are shifting geographically, and we've already been experiencing that. Um, and then also, you know, of course, just the, the incredible diversification in the U.S. population um, and in high school populations as well. So we knew all of that was coming. And, you know, hopefully institutions were, were understanding and examining how that was going to impact their recruitment efforts, right, and, and their institution as a whole. Uh, you know, coming through the pandemic and on the other side, huge shifts in international markets. Uh, So a lot of institutions who were heavily, heavily reliant on international uh, students populating their their entry entry classes or, or even transfer populations, graduate schools, Right. We've had to figure out that shift uh, and know that we can't necessarily be reliant on markets that we had for years and years. Affordability and access. Right. This is a constant conversation in higher education, but one that um, I think the media continues to, to put in the spotlight, you know, even as far as questioning the investment in education and, and does it matter? But what we're seeing from that as well is education's either leaning into the traditional residential campus model, recognizing that that is still very relevant, and seeing other higher education models really leaning into um, uh, delivery methods in different ways, right? You know, online education, hybrid, you know, whatever that might be. So we're seeing that innovation come, I think, in in both ways, those securing the relevance of of residential education and those finding ways to deliver in in different methods and reach students. Um, Hot, hot topic, and we can dive into any of these, but race-conscious admissions. We've got Supreme Court cases coming down the line and just... uh, could be a matter of days, weeks here, and we are all thinking deeply about what that means for our process, uh, waiting to see exactly what those decisions will be, but many of us have already started the legwork uh, to prepare our campus communities. And then the last one uh, that that's really top of my mind is one we touched on a bit, right, because sort of coming out of post-pandemic, the ever-changing landscape and of work place. And that specifically on higher ed, right, where we have had models where we expect employees to be on campus, in many cases, seven days a week, and then just recognizing that maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe there are other ways that we can work. And I think traditionally higher ed is is an industry that's a little slower to adapt Uh, But we're playing catch up really, really quickly as we think about retaining good people on our teams and as we're thinking as well, you know, just about recruiting. And this is this is a specific issue to admissions. The profession is having this conversation nationally, and it's critically important. Traditionally in higher ed, um, 
uh, admissions officers, admissions counselors have been some, among some of the, the lowest paid staff members on a campus. They are known to work endless hours out recruiting and traveling consistently. Um, those of us who grew up in the profession, like myself, my very first job was an admissions counselor. Uh, you know, we were packed in a car and went out for 10 weeks straight and didn't come home. You know, we, we come home to work an admissions event on a Saturday and go back out. That expectation, <laughs> uh, you know, has to change. Uh, the, the, the expectations of employees have changed, young people coming up, and we're trying to figure that out. Uh, you know, and I'm not someone who says, oh, let's go back to the way it was. I don't think that was the healthiest way for us to work uh, and maintain really good people on our team. So uh, that was a lot, Dustin, and I'm happy to dive in on any of those, but uh, those are top of my mind of, of things that are keeping me up at night and are, are topics that, that many of us in, in higher ed and enrollment leaders are, are engaging in on a national landscape. You know, I think a lot about like you know, a soundboard mixer where you've got all these sliders that you can kind of go up and down where it's like, you know, how much do you, you know, kind of toggle any of those things of, you know, how do we change fundamentally what we're offering and the modality of what we're offering as an institution, you know, in tandem with, you know, reaching out to students in different places in different ways or, you know, those sort of things, but even just like the idea of like, okay, are we going to have a bunch of road warriors, you know, spreading the good word about, you know, the institution or would we leverage their time and skill sets in other ways uh, to try to recruit students and everything? So like it, it's all of those things I think are kind of intertwined and sort of impacting one another. And I think we'll probably touch on a lot of them through the conversation, but I think with all of that, you know, that it, that is sort of like the day-to-day, -day, you know, the problems and sort of decisions that you're making, you know, I think it's just like, sometimes it's like, it's a lot of hand-wringing. You might be just sort of like trying to prepare for, you know, you're dealing with the ambiguity and everything. But regardless, I think that the landscape right now is we need to find new markets of students that, you know, you can't just keep going back to the same well exclusively, put all sort of your eggs in that one basket. It may be, yeah, like, you know, for certain institutions, you know, balancing more or less uh, international students or adult learners or those sort of things. So the idea of like, new student markets, like trying yeah. to sort of blossom out and, you know, uh, reach out a little bit further than maybe an institution had gone before. So yeah. from your experience, you know, what does that look like? How has that gone of kind of reaching out into areas maybe that you haven't really uh, looked into before? Yeah, right. So there's all of this uh, national data out there on shifting high school markets and state populations, right? And I think it can be easy for an institution to go chase growth. You know, okay, look, this, we, we know that there are going to be some growing populations in the Southeast, for instance, right? Or when people started to see a significant amount of growth in Texas, you saw a number of institutions place regional reps in Texas, and I think where sometimes we can miss is by not saying what makes sense for my institution, right? What are the priorities of my current institution? And then who are we already attracting and who are we not? And then build strategies to start to build out those markets. So I think that's really important to align the the expansion of markets with, again, those institutional priorities and thinking deeply about who is going to be attracted to what your uh, college or university offers. 
And so it means looking at a lot of data and understanding the data, right? So walking in the door to a brand new institution, right, in 2020, the first thing I did was look at a significant amount of data and understand where our key markets were, and then looked at the demographic data to understand what was shifting. Was it diversifying significantly? Was it dropping? Were there areas of growth? And then compared and took a look at, okay, if we're getting, you know, X number of applications from school A, school B down the road looks pretty similar. Um, Why aren't we going there, right? So you have to sort of ask yourself that. For us, I have to also think about our location, our accessibility to students from, you know, the West Coast, for instance. What does that look like? That doesn't mean necessarily that I can't go recruit students in a new market that's further away, but I need to make sure that our institution is prepared and set up for that, right? And that's what I see as really critical right now in enrollment management. It's not just about filling the class. It's about being that bridge to the high school populations and then helping to make sure that your your college or university is prepared for that. For us, right, you know, we recognized that we wanted to significantly increase socioeconomic diversity at the institution. And so we started to look at what that would mean um, and where we might go geographically to do that kind of work. Um, That's one example. You know, a number of institutions place regional reps out there where you've got a full-time admissions counselor living in a particular city or state and really working that city or state and building relationships with a number of high schools community-based organizations, college access networks, et cetera. Uh, but again, it, you've got to you've got to be really intentional about that work, and 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 make sure that you're thinking about pathways for those students to come to your college or university. So the second piece of that is you, you have to put resources behind it. There is still a significant personal element to our work. Um, and how we go out and recruit and build those relationships, get into high schools, um, get into communities and and talk about our schools. But then you have to back that up with really intentional marketing. And so, you know, I we spend a lot of our time thinking about marketing efforts and that the communications office is totally aligned with the admissions office to complement that work. That's really how you start to expand it. The key is it takes time. It takes time, right? So I had a meeting with a group of faculty um, and staff who were interested in in increasing a particular population here. And they said, you know, how could we get X number of students by next fall? And I said, yeah, it doesn't happen that fast because our work is still very much relationship-based. If people haven't heard of your college or institution, you have to to figure out how you're going to communicate that value proposition to them um, and start to put it on their radar, right? Um, and that takes a little bit of time to start to grow those those new pipelines. But it's critical work. And I think the I hope the key takeaway is not just to chase after what every other school is doing, but use data to really think intentionally about what's going to make the most sense for your school. In higher education, it's almost impossible to truly stand out. Ology gets it. As a branding and marketing agency that focuses on education, they understand that what makes you authentic is also what makes you distinct. Ology offers award-winning creative, smart strategy, innovative thinking, and expert digital marketing. Most of all, they'll help you connect with your audiences, bring your stakeholders together, and achieve the results that matter most to you. Want to find out more about how you can build a compelling brand or campaign? 
visit ology.com. That's O-L-O-G-I-E.com and mention that Dustin from Higher Ed Geek sent you their way. Yeah, yeah, I like kind of the the way that you frame that of like, try to figure out like, what's the outcome you're looking for? Like you're saying yeah. socioeconomic diversity or something, you know, and figure out where you can find that. And then even then, like, kind of, you know, using data one, just like seeing generally what's working, because like, I don't think you have to like, radically create an entire new campaign because you're changing from recruiting in Texas to California. Like, I think right. there will be sort of a, a, a pivot or sort of a contouring. But like, if there is just a core part that like, it, you know, totally sort of captures the heart, the spirit, the essence of what makes, you know, Bucknell special, like that, it, like, obviously, that's always going to be true. And you're just going to maybe sort of adapt that uh, to a different audience. But that I think is a important and really required part of it is that you aren't just sort of carbon copying necessarily, you know, across the, uh, all the different markets. Like you are, you know, looking at data to help inform that. And, um, certainly just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all just about like intentionality. Like you're not just, yes. cause I think like what you're saying made me think of kind of like, you know, a uh, gold rush mentality. Like it, it's yeah. people sort of like mindlessly being like, oh, you found something valuable there. Like maybe I can too. Like, and I'm just going right, to right. blindly follow uh, versus just yeah. like, you do know everybody else is sort of like thinking in the same way. Like you might even just want to be mindful of that of like. Exactly. And is that going to work for us or not? Or are we going to dip our toe in the water? And, you know, that's another piece I think coming out of this work and what has been good is assessing your current markets. Because in enrollment, often we're like, okay, great. You know, we typically get this number of applications from this school, or we really like the counselor there. We're going to go back. We're going to go back. We're going to go back. Right. And and back in my day, um, you know, right, like we used to get a list of high schools that the previous admissions counselor visited on a printout. Right. And we would just book the same visits for the next year. So this work has really transformed to be far more data driven, you know, rather than just just looking at where that population growth is, it's being, it's got to be really, really intentional or it's not going to work. And then also willing to change, right? So just because we've done it the same way over and over again. And and that's where that spirit of innovation, I think, really um, was proven and, and came, you know, was accelerated, I should say, during the pandemic. We just had to do things really, really differently. Um, and that's been, I think that's, that's, in a way, not that that was a, a good experience for anybody, but in a way has helped us, particularly in enrollment, say we can reach new audiences um, in ways that we never have, right? So a lot of us started to do like virtual tour platforms and figure figure out what that might be. You know what? We should have been doing that all along. Do you know how many international students come to our campuses in the fall and have never been here and have never seen it? Right. So the fact that we've thought about uh, a way that they can get a feel for our campus before they show up here, that's something we'll continue to do forever and ever. Right. We offer a driving tour at Bucknell. I'll, then all of a sudden we went, oh, could we do that in multiple languages? How can we make that more accessible for people? It's something that we likely should have done all along. So, uh, yeah, I think that intentionality and that that assessment and just just thinking about ways that you can show your campus or tell your university story uh, in new ways is just so important. And it's hard to break through the noise, you know, right? There's this notion that we all have the same view books 
they all look the same, happy people on a beautiful campus, right? How, how do you really distinguish yourself? Uh, and that's been an interesting and fun challenge to think about, particularly when we couldn't bring students to our campus. We couldn't run campus visit. I kept saying, well, how do we help students feel what we are? Because you always hear students step foot on your campus and they know if it's a yes or a no, right? Often <laughs> before they finish that tour, how do we replicate that, right? Um, that's something that's been a challenge for us for years and years and years. And we've had to had to really think about that. And we haven't talked about it yet, but that's also where the power, I guess, the power of social media comes in to play. Uh, and, and we've really been doing that here, <clears throat> turning over our social media channels to students to show what it's like a day in a life. Uh, and, and it's fascinating how, how impactful that is. I was a little terrified when we first started to do that, especially when my colleague and VP of communications said, we're going on TikTok. I went, what? <laughs> then I got TikTok so I could see what we were putting out there. Uh, yeah. But, you know, one of our, our, um, you know, most watched uh, TikToks was inside of a residence hall. No surprise, right? No, no surprise. People want to know where they're going to be living and what that experience is going to be like. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's some of the good that that's come out of all of this. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, broadly to that point, like the question of being like reaching into new markets, it's like one, it, it's a it's a varied approach of just, you know, depending on the market, the audience, the people, you know, the potential students that you're looking for, like, there's just a lot of dynamics at play of, you know, you know, how you're using or how you're doing it, what tools you're using and all those sort of things. And even just that something that I always sort of fall back on is like, uh, you know, the investments that you're making and sort of like your sort of digital footprint as an institution, your digital marketing and outreach and yeah, virtual tours and uh, open houses or anything else like, you know, it helps certainly with, you know, an international student population, but it can help with like, you know, uh, commuter students, if it's just like, that's ah, a bad oh, day, it's tough, yes. you know, and those sort of things are certainly just out of state students. If they're a fully online student and you're doing recruitment, it could be like, we know these are super effective things. Obviously, they wouldn't need to know what a residence hall looks like. But like, just even just taking that core ethos of like, we want this student to feel the spirit of our institution, feel like they're part of the family, even though they live in Montana, and we're, you know, in Pennsylvania, like, we want them to, uh, you know, understand sort of the, the, the values and understand sort of the uh, the people and the processes and things that they're going to be navigating and all that. And uh, the, the thought that I had, because it's obviously it's a sentiment that's shared by many people. And I think I don't know why I just sort of had this like epiphany and it's sort of like, uh, you know, trying to like interface with it, that idea of like, well, you know, the pandemic was awful, like shouldn't have happened, you know, I wish it didn't happen. And then like all these other things, but like, hey, well, look, you know, the silver lining or whatever. And it's like, yeah, because like, I don't think anybody wants to sort of think back and just be like, yeah, this awful thing happened for no reason and no good came of it. And like, like you're just, it's like you know, human nature just yeah. to try to like reason with this like global event. But like, yeah, like it, there's so many things like, you know, we're saying with like the enrollment cliff where it's like, we knew that that was coming beforehand. And now it's just sort of even closer, but we had sort of wibbly wobbly couple of disruptive years in between that. Like if this didn't happen, maybe, you know, we would have felt more prepared, not so sort of, a, you know, like the sky is falling. But um, if honestly, it's like, I think we're in a better position to deal with that and any other sort of variables of just, you know, changing student preferences and, you know, everything else uh, given the sort of uh, accelerated 
rate of change that happened in terms of kind of the, the hybrid frontier that we're now all sort of uh, understanding is ahead of us. But a quick kind of follow-up question that I wanted to ask too, because I realize it wouldn't be something that you're like mm-hmm. making the decisions on, but you may sort of advocate for, because I think everything that you're talking about is very like process and sort of outreach driven uh, things that you're doing, you know, you and your team are doing in terms of like student preferences, in terms of uh, modality, in terms of like, you know, the, the time investment students are making and all that, like, are you seeing a lot of that come up as you're interacting with students of like, that's what they're looking for? And how can your institution sort of adapt to that? Because I think that's, again, that's all sort of the part of the balance of like, yeah, maybe we don't want to like, completely reshape the way that we deliver education to students, but like, maybe we do a little bit or, you know, uh, how that sort of dynamic comes at play, because I would imagine you would be somebody like at a table that is advocating one way or another while the decision sort of lies with, you know, academic affairs and, you know, deans and provosts and those sort of folks. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably been, gosh, five, eight, could be even 10 years um, with the emergence of um, MOOCs, right? Sort of, right, that open online access to courses, And there were all kinds of headlines, like this is the end of traditional college education, you know, all of these colleges and universities are going to close and you're going to be able to take classes from the very best institutions worldwide. And that's that's what, you know, higher education is going to mean and and move to. And you saw some institutions lean into that for the better, right? It, it created better opportunities for their students to have some type of dual modality or optional modality. You know, it provided more accessibility for students who were looking for that, that mode of education, right? Then the pandemic happens. Everyone's delivering education online. Um, a lot of lessons learned through that. But yes, you know, for us institutionally here, Uh, what we recognized was that demand for in-person residential education in a a very traditional model, right? That that makes sense for my institution here at Bucknell. Uh, Other institutions had to make other other decisions, right? Um, But, you know, as soon as we were able to, we had everyone back in classes and and in person. And, and, and And even from an admissions standpoint, we all were sort of holding our breath, trying to figure out what's going to be the right ratio of in-person campus visit versus virtual. And, you know, maybe to no surprise, a little surprise to me, maybe we've seen our, our campus visit numbers rebound. Yeah, I was just curious, because I think it is like thing of the moment is, you know, digital education. And there's a lot of sizzle yeah. around that. And there's, you know, increasingly a lot more substance, because like a lot of great institutions are putting full online degree programs out there, mostly in the graduate degree space, and they're doing more and sort of continuing ed and certificates and those sort of things. And those can be just on ramps for the adult learners and various right. folks. But like, you know, what I hear a lot, and it definitely captures what you're saying is like, differentiation is going to be really important for institutions to kind of survive and thrive. And the idea that like, and I need to look up this term because I think there's some sort of catchy term that sort of summarizes it, but there's sort of like an economic force where like everything's just starts to become the same gray blob because it's just like, that's what people want. Right. And it's like, you kind of see the higher ed, I think has really kind of like struggled with that and sort of coming to a T now. Um, and even the same idea of maybe the gold rush of like everything needs to be all digital, all online and all that. But like, if it's like, Hey, we know who we are. We, we do it really well. Like we've seen obviously like a huge amount of demand and a huge amount of success with like, the way we do things of that residential model and all right. that, that's how we're going to differentiate. We're going to lean into that and be of a distinct 
unique option as sort of a counterpoint to sort of the preconceived notion or assumption of what you know education you know or higher education is, is supposed to be or what people what we assume people want or whatever and it's like i think yeah it's kind of it's, that'll be sort of the refreshing take you know amidst all the other hot takes uh out there and like uh yeah like it like you said it just makes it a very clear option even amidst but it's like it's still like a small fraction it's that's the same idea where sometimes you know shopping and different things where it's like you know this online retailer experienced like 75 percent growth year over year and it's like there's still like a third the size of like the traditional start like so it's impressive yes they grew at that rate but it's like it's still really small and it's the idea that like you know if sort of a level heads prevail of knowing knowing who you are is sort of institutional identity and like not getting again, that sort of mentality of sort of blindly following, you know, uh, the rest of the pack, you can kind of like, you know, carve out that niche of like, you know, for the people that want this, they probably are very clear of like the experience that they're looking for. And we're here to offer that. You know, we haven't even really talked about just the higher education landscape. You know, it feels like almost every day in the press, we're seeing another college close its doors. Right. Um, you know, and there's a lot of variety of reasons for that. Beyond that, right, where you're really seeing institutions thrive are the ones that are leaning into their mission and their strength. And, uh, you know, there is this notion that higher ed can be a little slow to move, but the ones who are willing to pivot, um, who are responding to today's students in really successful ways that are thinking ahead, right, that are putting structures and, frankly, even buildings and thinking about space with intentionality, not just to meet the demand of today's students, but the six-year-olds, right, that are coming behind them that are going to be here before we know it. Um, that's that's where we have to really shift that, that mindset and that conversation at those senior leadership tables. Uh, you know, there are... There are um, elements of colleges and universities that made sense for students 50 years ago. They don't make sense for students now. And sometimes it's a basic policy. It's like, and then, you know, oh, well, we've always done that. It's always worked. And it's, it's having, um, you know, the, the ability to ask the question, does it work right now? Is it working right now? And is it going to work 20, 30, 40, 50 years from from now. Um, that's what I think is so important and so critical and, and takes bold leadership in higher ed right now. You know, the other thing in the headlines you're seeing all the time, not only from enrollment leaders, but now we're seeing it with college presidents is just complete burnout. And, you know, we're watching that. Who, who's willing to stay in and do this really hard work right now? And who is just saying, I can't do this anymore? You know, I, and, and in my job, how many years am I going to want to sweat the numbers trying to land the class perfectly to make residents' life and the CFO happy? Um, it's really, really hard work, and it can be really, really stressful. Uh, and, and from a leadership lens, you want to be doing that in a way that people on your team look at you and say, I want your job someday, not you're completely burnt out and stressed out and work all the time, and I don't want to do that, right? Um so I think that's really important, too. I want to jump back a little bit, if that's OK, just for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about you kind of talked about, oh, well, we have to find a silver lining in the pandemic. And what did we all learn from it? And I know I started that conversation. 
But, you know, the other thing that was happening during that, we're all trying to figure that out and move. But, you know, we also were trying to figure out, well, how, how can we also get things done that, that we intended to do anyway, right? And so for me, you know, I also really tried to bring our team together to say, we have some big goals. Hey, we've got this demographic cliff coming. We got this enrollment cliff coming. We've got demographic changes. We have institutional priorities to significantly increase diversity. Let's build the plan to do that. And you know, we took time to to come to the table and devise a plan to figure out how to move through that. I think that was really important. And I and I tried to keep connecting people back to the good work that we needed to do, um, so we couldn't sort of get get completely lost in everything that was happening. You know, there was a careful balance in, in acknowledging the tremendous stress that many people found themselves in personally, professionally. You know, I was one of those moms balancing a toddler on my lap trying to have, you know, staff Zoom meetings. But I think it was also a relief a little bit to say, this is all happening. We have to figure this out right now. But how can we be building blocks, um, putting things in place that, that you know, once we move through this, we have a roadmap of what it is that we want to achieve. And I think we're seeing that right now in higher education. I know for, for me professionally, there's a lot of excitement like, okay, let's go. You know, <laughs> we, we've had these strategic plans in place. A lot of things had to be paused. But we've got, you know, people ready to go. And, and how do we start to move on exactly what we talked about, Dustin, that differentiation, you know, deepening what we're really, really good at, maybe having the boldness to let go of what we're not so good at. Uh, not always, that doesn't always happen in higher ed, but, uh, but it probably should. And really moving on those things. So yeah, that's what I'm. Ex- that's what gets me up and gets me excited every day. You know what? What can I do with with my team to contribute to us being one of the very best residential campuses in America? Yeah, and I think that yeah, I mean that's another smart sort of like kind of anecdote of you know I think like one there's just you know so many institutions that were just blindsided by the onset of the pand- pandemic and needing to kind of implement, you know, emergency remote learning and just like all these other aspects of just kind of conducting the business of an institution. And because that's, those are like the sort of the, the aspects of, it's not just like, well, we're either like doing digital education or we're not or whatever. It's like, well, there's ways to sort of like digitally augment and sort of supplement a residential experience and those sort of things of just sort of like your workflows and like tools and, you know, whatever else. But uh, so I think it's that idea of like, you know, how well prepared were you were you for sort of just that digital transition of just like, you know, how life yeah. happens. But then during it, if people were just sort of like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, it's like you can try to like temper that kind of like anxious energy with the ambiguity of like a moment with that sort of like, well, let's kind of like peer towards the head, uh, you know, the horizon where we like you kind of, you know, we have known for a while of just some sort of impending difficulties with, you know, right. uh, you know, demographics and everything. So that idea of like, like, yes, we we obviously need to sort of like live in the moment, but also try to plan at least like a little bit ahead of the future, because I think it's just that idea of like institutions that kind of just keep getting like battered by like the moment and they're always playing catch up. It's like if you can kind of try to carve out, you know, that space to have those plans and everything where it's just like obviously like enrollment is going to be that kind of like, you know, 
uh, tip of the spear that is hitting that enrollment cliff head on. And then it sort of, you know, ripples out through, throughout the rest of the organization. It's like, you know, if we're able to sort of sit with this and anticipate it and try to build out some plans and things like that's, you know, uh, time well spent versus like, you know, it just hits you and you're sort of like, you know, dazed and confused and sort of like, you know, just trying to get your bearings. Um, so, um, I like that, uh, that advice a lot, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and I think we've kind of talked about this last question that I had. So maybe I'll kind of like sort of skim by it of like, you know, just how you're sort of navigating these struggles of this moment and everything. And, and I think you've given some, some great advice and then it will, you know, have an opportunity for us all, you know, call to action, final thought as we wrap everything up, but, uh, maybe, you know, advice for other like resources and things that are helping to sort of inform your perspective, your work or, you know, just are helpful for you, uh, generally that we, uh, can uh, refer people to. Yeah. You know, I mean, from an enrollment standpoint, I, you know, uh, gobbled up both books by Nathan Graw on the shifting demographics and high school populations. But I have to say right now, um, I'm spending a lot more time personally reading books about different aspects of leadership because the workforce is changing so drastically um, wanting to make sure that we're retaining really, really good people and that we're attracting people into our teams that maybe haven't been interested in this work before is really um, important. So for me personally, that's where I spend a lot of time. I, I, I do a lot of reading on headlines and what's happening in higher ed nationally. I think anyone at, at an institution wants to know what are best practices out there, what's working, what's not, what are we seeing? I try to not listen to a lot of the noise that, that's in that um, as well. But yeah, that's that's where I'm, I'm spending a lot of time. I just finished The Servant by James Hunter. Just read a really interesting book called The Permission to Feel, which I think can um, is really important for leaders right now to, to read and glean from. I took a lot as a not only a leader, but a parent as well. Um, I loved Daisy Auger Dominguez's book, Inclusion Revolution. A lot of really great tips on how to um, infuse DEI into your leadership and into your workplace, uh, which is more important now than, than ever before and is going to be key aspect for successful leaders moving forward. You know, anybody can kind of get like lost in the weeds of like, you know, I, I guess like higher ed, it doesn't have as much of this problem as I'm sure like other uh, fields might have just sort of like, you know, the continual onslaught of like news. Like I think we have our fair share and you can kind of get lost in it. But uh, that idea of like, yeah, do that, but also just like, like read a good book about like how to be a good leader, which like is, it can have applications in your personal life and just, you know, being a better human and uh, those sort of things. And I appreciate a couple of, you know, specific calls out uh, uh, for folks to, uh, you know, add to their, their reading lists and everything. But um, so yeah, we, we have that yeah. in higher ed. We have those headlines <laughs> every day of what's happening on some other college campus. And, you know, it, we have to take all of that media with a grain of salt, right? There's some good things in there, like I said, about who's doing what really, really well. Um, and then there's also just the drama happening on a campus that makes makes the national headlines, um, which is challenging, too. <laughs> so yeah, and I so guess we do have that, all that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess I see that because, one, I'm thinking more so of, like, politics, like, feels like it has so much of sort of this, like, vortex that'll just pull you in, you'll get lost in it. But yeah. then, like, yeah, I mean, higher ed right now, too, right? How they're uh, leaning into what can be taught in public institutions. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. 
Um, it's a, this I, is I, a I ingest, rocky like, landscape right now. <laughs> yeah, because like I ingest like you know my fair share of like you know a couple of, like you know Pod Save America like political podcasts and stuff, and they're very sort of like you know this is just like what's happening today this week whatever, and then um, you know I'll get pulled in uh, for stuff in higher red where it is that sort of like you know the latest drama on you know whatever given campus, and I think like you know, respect to like the journalists who are like, giving like the full context, but it's an idea where it's just like, Oh, this is just like a thing at a camp. Like you have to kind of like, you know, shake it off sometimes if it's just sort of like, okay, I'm really getting pulled into this. Like one thing where it's like, there may be some relevant actionable things, you know, for my institution as well. But you know, the same way that I would think about politics. Cause like I- I've thankfully been able, I think to achieve a healthy enough balance of not getting like you know stuck in the fray of like all that kind of stuff but it's like yeah i'm getting those like daily emails you know from any of the publications that have got all these sort of things going on and it's like you know it's just like you know just click on what grabs my attention but it's like man they're like this is all pretty fresh stuff or the next chapter in a continuing story of one thing or another so um yeah you kind of have to figure out what that balance looks like for you but it's like don't just completely ignore everything that's going on but um yeah, just try to keep a, a healthy, diverse diet of uh, content and, you know, things that are uh, going on. But uh, so uh, we will uh, conclude, uh, as we always do, if you do want to just share a final thought or call to action on this topic uh, for folks listening. I feel like we, you know, covered a lot of ground, uh, at least just sort of acknowledgments of kind of all the complexities and things that folks in uh, enrollment management and missions are dealing with. But um, what are sort of parting words that you would like to wrap up the episode with? Earlier, I said there's no more important time for bold leadership in higher education, Um, and I really, really believe that. And I think if there are young higher education professionals listening, I would beg you to stick with it, right, to find a campus that really aligns with your values, that's doing good work that you feel like you can lean into. And for myself, on the hard days, right, sweating the numbers, trying to make sure we we bring in the class. I always try to come back to the heart of what we do. And it is about the power of education. It's transformative for students and families. It's what keeps me connected to this work. It's why I get up every day. It's an unbelievable privilege to align my values with my work every day. And, and that's what I would hope for um, professionals out there in, in every facet of their career and, and anyone who might be listening to this. Great call to action. Cause I think, yeah, that, that core that can inspire you, you know, can push through those hard times and certainly those harder times should hopefully be fewer than the good times and the victories and the wins and the milestones and everything. But like, you know, it's the same idea of kind of having that North star, that mission, you know, whether it's an institutional mission, your department mission, your personal mission, professional mission, whatever it is, like, if you're always kind of striving towards that, it still allows you to kind of zig and zag and adapt and do whatever. But if it's like, yeah, like I chose to work in admissions for X, Y, or Z reasons, you know, increasing access to high quality education and doing whatever, it's like, you can adapt to the moment, adapt to the needs and uh, different things like that to increase, you know, accessibility and all those sort of right. things. So, uh, yeah, great parting words to sort of have people sit with and marinate on and, you know, have ways to connect with you and uh, uh, keep the conversation going if uh, folks so choose it. But um, just thank great. you so much for all your, you know, your advice and expertise and your time. And uh, yeah, just really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. 
Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.